Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. What's going on, everybody? Jason Wright here. Welcome to uh, the Intentionally Inspirational Podcast. This is episode 198. In today's episode, we have the pleasure of talking with Matt Johnson of Pursuing Results, where he runs a podcast launch and production agency. He's also the author of a book called Microfamous, and even has a podcast by the very same name. He's an interesting guy, so trust me, you don't want to miss this episode. Before we get into today's episode, let me quickly tell you about today's sponsor. Have you ever sought out ongoing help for your active campaign account without a lot of success? The truth is that most agencies aren't as well-versed as they say they are, when it comes to digital marketing strategy and architecture, especially with an active campaign. To check out a new kind of active campaign specific agency without the contract and without the huge monthly fee, go to explorettheagency.com to learn more today. You will be glad you did, my friends. Now let's get into today's podcast with my awesome guest, Matt Johnson. What's happening, everybody? Jason Wright here. I've got another awesome guest with me this week. I've got Matt Johnson. Let me tell you what I know about Matt. He's the founder of the Pursuing Results uh, Marketing Agency. He's a host of the Micro Famous podcast and also the author of the book, Micro Famous. Welcome to the show, Matt. What's up, Jason? Good to be here. Good to be here, brother. I would love to hear your journey from where you began before you were even an entrepreneur um, to where you are now. I always love hearing this repeat from people. Mm, okay. Well, so I'll start with a snapshot of where I am now. So I run a podcast launch and production agency for thought leaders like coaches, consultants. Uh, I've got a team of people all around the world. So we're like a production line company for that specific type of person. So we sell one thing to one type of person, uh, which is fantastic because that allows me to run the agency in about four hours a week. So that's kind of where I'm at Boom. now. Yeah, love it. So I, I live in San Diego, moved out here from the Midwest, have an amazing life um, and all, all powered by that decision to really focus in on one type of person and just sell them one thing. Uh, but five years ago, I was just some dude working in a marketing agency. We were doing video and email marketing for real estate agents. I got into um, doing live webinars with some of the, um, the people that they had connections to. Mm -hmm. And uh, one of those people called me up one day and pitched me on the idea of starting a podcast. And I'm like, well, it's funny you should say that because I was thinking we should do one. Uh, he and I had been doing video behind the scenes for a while and just had a really great time doing it. We had a blast. And so we started doing... Um, uh, a podcast together that was five years ago today that's uh real estate uncensored it has uh, like a million and a half downloads something like that wow. um ended up being named one of the top five in the space it's been awesome and uh accidentally stumbled onto the micro famous strategy by doing it myself so i went from being a nobody that worked at an agency and in 18 months we were headlining an event all the way across the country that was packed it was insane um so that was kind of my, that was kind of my journey. Uh, I had a background enough. I didn't, you know, I hated it, but I had a real estate team at one time in my mid twenties and I did the whole American dream. I owned a house. I had a dog. I ran a real estate team, realized I hated it all. Uh, haven't owned a home or run a business like that since. Um, cause I, I love, I love this space and I love the chance to get to help people kind of become micro famous and, uh, yeah, completely changed kind of the, uh, the structure of my life since then. Beautiful. 
thought the American Dream entailed three dogs. If not, I've got it wrong. Two and a half. Is it two and a half? It's a two, <laughs> two kids and a dog is like a half a human or something. So like I that. will, yeah. I no will get off this microphone and go release my extra dogs into the wild right now. <laughs> That's right. I'm sure they'll be fine. They won't totally, they totally won't turn into pet cemetery or anything. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Uh, let me ask you, Matt, through that process um, of, of getting this stuff launched and rolling, did you ever have a moment or a day where you're like, oh crap, this might all fall apart. I might fail here. Ooh, that's a good question. You're a confident dude, so it won't surprise me if you say no. No, it's not. It's not that. And it's funny because my confidence comes not because I think I'm awesome. It comes from trying to be good at what I do, which I think is where most people's confidence comes from. Mm -hmm. So the only reason I have confidence is, yeah, I think I crossed a point where you know, what it was is I was able to take on a consulting client right away that covered enough of my living expenses that I was able to be picky about clients right off the bat. That's what it was. That's important. So man. I didn't have that moment. I've, I've had a couple of moments since then where I thought, holy cow, I'm going to lose half my clients. And it wasn't that I thought the business would fail, but I had that moment where I thought, man, I'm going to have to lay off half of my staff and I'm going to lose all the progress that I've made of building this team out that's ready for the business to double. And I'm going to set myself back by a year and have to find new people all over again. I've had that moment, yeah. which, which, hurt, which hurts just as bad because it, oh, yeah. it felt like going back to a J-O-B. Yeah. It's weird when you transition from a place of like, I'm in control of the world. Everything's great. It almost becomes easy. So you've got all that momentum. And then sometimes when you have to go back to that, that weird thought, like, Oh crap, this, this is this stuff's more fragile than it appears. Like a domino could fall mm -hmm. and could make things, you know, ugly quick, but it's like the, the plus side of that. It's almost fun to retest yourself. Do I still have the grit that it takes to rebuild if I have to, you know, right. and I've got to do some of that this year, which is, uh, um, not that fun, but at the same time, it's, uh, it's great to know you can still do it. So it is. Yeah. And I think that's one of the things that I was really fortunate to learn coming out of my last agency, which is a structured packaged professional service that sells one thing to one person. And they've got 550 clients ongoing. I like that simplicity. It's, I love it. I love it. And I modeled the same thing. And so I, I came out and I actually charged the same amount. Now I've doubled and doubled since then. So I, so I go after like a higher, higher range of client than my old agency does. But I learned the lesson of like, you don't charge anybody, any particular client, any more or less for the same thing. Mm -hmm. So I don't have any clients where if I lost that one client, it would be a huge chunk of the business, yeah. which is a really nice place to be in. And I think a lot of people get themselves in trouble because they wish for that client that all of a sudden doubles their business. And they don't realize that once you do that, all you are is a glorified employee of that one client. Absolutely. It, you would, I would always hear stories about that where things go bad with like a, a government contractor, for example. Yeah, You've totally. got this uh, machine shop that makes a specialized thing for the government. There's 25 employees. The government clips it. You're out of business. And that never made sense to me. I was like, like you said, how's that any different than being an employee? So yeah, it really very, isn't. Yeah. Very it's a very, advice. very insecure position to be in. Absolutely. Um, let me talk about podcasting here for a little bit. Um, when you see people start podcasts or try to get going with them, where do you see most people go wrong? Going after too big of an audience. Gotcha. So I think, uh, I think the days of launching like a, a, a conversational podcast that becomes uh, a Joe Rogan type show. I think those days are for the most part behind us. Yeah. Uh, there's there not because it's not good. It's because there's just such an oversupply. Yeah. You, know, you can basically find a interview style podcast in every single niche. Yeah. And unless that person 
screws up or stops podcasting, there's no reason for their audience to switch over to a new podcast. So I think we have to get really clear. Uh, there's still plenty of room for more podcasts. Uh, we have a long way to go before podcasting gets anywhere near in the range of how many WordPress blogs there are. We've got like a oh, hundred yeah. million podcasts to go. <laughs> so I, th- I, I think the future is everybody has a show um, and everybody has a podcast, but I think we do need to get a lot more focused. And, and when we go to the market with a new podcast, I'm telling all my clients, shorter interviews, mix in a healthy dose of solo episodes under 15 minutes and make sure that that podcast speaks really, really deeply to an audience of no more than 10,000 people so that you're able to give them something that they can't get from the other podcast they're listening to. Because when yours comes out, it's like, holy cow, where was this podcast all my life? I've been sifting through all these other podcasts, listening to every fifth or 10 episode to get what I want. And this podcast is exactly what I want every single time. Like that's, that's how you break through with a new show. So if I was starting a new show today, for what, from what you're saying, business wouldn't be narrow enough. <laughs> no. <laughs> so when are you going to talk about business? Yeah. What does that mean? I don't know. Yes. Got it. Exactly. <laughs> awesome. Yeah, I like that, you know, it's always awkward for me when I have a guest that has no sense of humor. You know, I crack a joke and they just do this. <laughs> oh boy it's gonna be one of those good yeah, gracious those are not fun have you ever had any really crazy things happen on a podcast uh well speaking of tone deaf guests i think the the horror story i have is i brought somebody on that was a coach in my space yeah and even though i told him he was speaking to his peers yeah. colleagues other coaches other consultants yeah. he treated it like as it was a webinar for his audience to his coaching clients and so at one point, I didn't talk for 25 straight minutes. <laughs> That's so awkward. Yeah, that, that interview sat on ice and, and has never seen the light of day. Yep, I can yep. understand why. This was, uh, so I'm in the uh, fourth bedroom in my house now, is my office is, but above me, we have an area where I used to podcast. And back in those old days, this was probably episode somewhere under 100. It's been a long time, but I was talking to this guy, and it was just audio, and I could hear him kind of like move around in his chair. And then I heard this crash followed by a bigger crash and a scream. And I waited for like three minutes and I finally could hear him coming back. And he's like, I'm so sorry. I'm like, are you okay? He's like, I fell out of my chair and my desk flipped over on me and pinned me to the ground. And I was like, holy crap. And I wasn't very good at editing. So I don't even know that I cut it out. I think I left it in there, but it was really weird. (laughs) Are you, uh, you may have me beat on the podcasting front. Um, yeah, I think the only other time that something weirder than that has happened is we had a female guest on a live podcast show. And at one point, she stood up to answer the door and we realized that she did not have pants on. Thank God my co-host was oh talking boy. at the time. So it wasn't on the main screen. It was yeah. off in the corner. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah that's, uh, but, but getting pinned by your own <laughs> desk, that's a new one. That's a new one. Another one, as it was video like this, and the, the guest with no warning got up and walked away for a while and came back, and I was like, uh, okay. It just wow. disappeared. Just yeah. disappeared. Yeah, and I was like, you know we are on video, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> okay. So anyway, um, I'd love for you to talk to us a little bit about uh, the three stages of influence. I found that interesting. Yeah, so the three stages of influence. So they are get seen, get noticed, and get known. Mm-hmm. So get seen is when you are essentially just out there and you're starting to gain a little bit of traction. You're talking about mostly about like the frustration 
that your clients have and, and a little bit about the problem you solve. And people just kind of start to go, oh, okay, you know, I've seen that guy around. Uh, at the getting noticed stage is when you start to zero in a little bit on what your core message is and you start to talk about the same thing a lot. And you start to notice what resonates with people. And the more that you talk about the same thing, it almost even dictates the titles that podcast hosts will give your episodes when they interview you, right? So like Microfamous will probably be somewhere in the title of this podcast episode, which is great because then when people search Microfamous, it comes up with a whole bunch of podcast episodes, right? Yep. So then people go, okay. They don't just go, oh, I've seen that guy before. They go, Ooh, oh, okay, that's the Microfamous guy. Yep. Then you hit the tipping point where they've, they've seen Microfamous around so much and they've associated me with that and they know what I do and what I stand for that now it's Matt's the Microfamous guy. Yep. That's where you hit that tipping point of influence where you become, oh, that guy and that he does X and they know exactly what I do and what I stand for and I become number one in their mind for that problem that I solve. That's what it means to be a known and that's that third stage of influence. That's where we all want to get to. Um, and very few do because we don't have the focus to get there, but it's like, um, it's like doing what John Maxwell did with leadership just on a smaller scale. Yep. What's funny about what you said is I agree with it all. And I think it's beautiful. And I talk to clients and I urge clients weekly to do something towards building a tribe and people just want to hide behind their brand and not do it. It's amazing how many fundamentals of digital marketing people won't do. Oh, I'll get amazing. to that. I'll get to that email thing later. I'm like, <laughs> What? And we talked about, we talked about before the show. No, that's your foundation. Email's not dead. That back ends the, that's the foundation. And, you know, I always talk about how nice it is. Like with me, it's my Facebook group and my email list. It's like how nice it is to have that personal connection with your audience where you interact, it's back and forth, there's relationship building, super yeah. powerful. If every brand in the world did that correctly, they'd make a lot more money. I promise you that. They would. And it's an interesting problem, but I, I, I've identified, I think, one of the reasons why people have so much trouble with that. And it's a little bit of our own fault in marketing because uh, through the last, let's say, 10 years, especially since Gary Vee and Grant Cardone and all those guys have come onto the scene, I think they managed to convince people that if you just get attention, attention equals sales, right? So, so you mentioned that, that a person that's in your world that just wants to pour money or pour time into yep. reaching a cold audience. Yep. And I think it's because the, in their minds, they think all I got to do is I just need to get more attention. If I just get my name out there, if I just get my brand out there, attention equals sales. I don't think that's ever really been true, but you and I have both lived through kind of the, that little niche of time, especially in info marketing on yep. the internet where it seemed like that was true. There just wasn't enough selection. So if you just got attention you and you were the only game in town selling what you sold, well then yeah, that's going to translate into sales. But as soon as there's selection again, that breaks and yep. attention doesn't convert into sales anymore. Um, and there's a couple of different ways to handle that. What most people end up reverting to is sales skills, right? Which is, I just need to get more people on the phone or I need to get more speaking gigs. And yep. that's like, that's true, but that's not scalable. Right. So if you want, if you want to actually turn attention into sales in a scalable way, then you've got to do something else. And to me, that answer is influence. You know, yep. it's the difference between um, some random person off the street contacting you on LinkedIn and wondering if you want to get on a coaching call with them and Tony Robbins reaching out and saying, would you like to get on a coaching call? Like people would crawl over broken glass to get on a coaching call with Tony Robbins. Well, why or is that? Or hot he has coals, right? <laughs> or hot coals, exactly. Yes, people willingly show up and pay money to burn their feet. I don't understand it, but, uh, but they will. And that's because Tony Robbins has influence. Now we can do that 
just on a smaller scale, or at least we start with a smaller scale, but it's the same principle, the yep. same thing that drives people to go sign up for Tony Robbins coaching when they don't, don't even really think they need coaching, but they coach with Tony Robbins. Yeah. Like we can have that same level of influence just in a smaller space. Absolutely. Let me ask you this. Um, oh boy, my mind just went blank. You like that live watchers? <laughs> blank mind. It's like a boomerang though. It always comes back that eventually. The, the most terrifying thing for a podcast host is to say, you know, I've got a really interesting question for you. And then your mind goes blank. I think I say it every episode. I think this happens to me all the time. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so I got the, it came back to me. Uh, wait, just lost it again. What was it about? Mm, oh, oh, gotcha. So with LinkedIn, I'm sure you get those people every day reach out. Hey, blah, 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 blah. You want to jump on a call? Do you ever respond to those people? Oh, God, no. <laughs> so I respond to them, but I only, I mess with them. I'll say, does this really work for you? No, I don't want to jump on a call. I don't know you. I mean, I, I literally, and sometimes they'll just look at it and they won't respond. And sometimes yeah. they'll go back and forth and they'll try to sell me yeah. harder. And I'll be like, you're getting colder. You're getting colder. It's my <laughs> personality, but it's just, it's like door-to-door -door sales. It's digital door-to-door -door sales. Hey, you want to buy my thing? No, I want you off my porch. Go back past the no soliciting sign you parked next to. You know what I mean? <laughs> um, interesting stuff. Yeah, it's, it's tough. Um, <laughs> LinkedIn is an interesting place. I still think it's a great place, but it's like anything else um, on social media, especially nowadays. Like everything in social media is conspiring against that approach. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Like yep. it's all conspiring to make sure that, look, it's you on your phone, on your mobile app, creating content and engaging with people in real time and anything other than that, man, they're live. They are pressing that down. They're burying it in the algorithm. They are, you know, trying to get it out of their messaging apps. So yeah, if, if you're doing those kinds of things, like the, your, your time is limited, like maximize it while it still works. Cause it's, it's getting to the point where it's not working fast. It just reeks of desperation too. Yeah. You know, so anyway, yeah. <laughs> um, let's see. I have a question here I wrote down that makes no sense. I'm going to go ahead and skip that one. I don't even know what I was trying to say. You ever do that? You write something down, you look at it later. What was I trying to tell myself? I won't even read it because it doesn't even make it. It's gibberish. Did my daughter write this? Somebody's playing a trick on me. All right, I'll keep moving. Um, would you share the process with us in the audience uh, to uncover a clear and compelling idea that speaks to your ideal client? I think a lot of people just cannot wrap their mind around this. Yeah, it's, it's, it's tough, but I, I think we feel the difference when we have it versus when we don't. And, yeah. and so like, like the best way to describe having a clear and compelling idea. And it's funny you mentioned LinkedIn because this goes back to when I was kind of meeting people and networking on LinkedIn a lot back when I first started the agency and I would reach out to people and I would, um, just mentioned that, hey, like I, I produce and host podcasts. I think one of my clients might be a good guest for you or, or, or vice versa. You know, would you like to jump on a quick chat? I can just tell you a little bit about them and see if they're a good fit for you. And that was an automatic yes if I reached out to the right people with the right fit between who I was pitching them and who they were and what type of podcast they hosted or whatever the case is. So they would jump on and I, they would ask, well, what, you know, like, what do you do? And I would just tell them in one to two sentences what my agency did because it was a done for you agency for coaches and consultants. And they go, holy cow, like really? Like that thing exists? Like, so you can like just host a podcast and show up and not do anything? Like, yeah. Um, I'm like, okay, we need to have another conversation because either I need it or I, or I know someone that does and I want to see if I can recommend you. 
And that's what kind of turned me on to that idea. And, and you can call it an elevator pitch. That's not really what it is, but it, it's what it really at the heart is, is having an idea at the core of your business that speaks so deeply to the right people that when they hear that, they can't unhear it and they have to learn more. Oh yeah. If you've got that, everything in business is easy. And if you don't have it, everything in business is going to feel like a struggle because people are going to ask you what you do. And it starts with the word, well, and that, that's when you know the things have gone horribly, horribly wrong. <laughs> it's really hard to explain in words. Yes. Let me make if, some if shadow puppets for you. Yeah, so if somebody up. asks you what you do and they get a speech or they get, well, right now, uh, yeah, not a good thing. <laughs> you know, it's funny. It's like when my neighbors, because I live in a neighborhood and I work with two businesses and I operate them both from home and I never leave the house. So sometimes people are like, what do you do? Those people I mess with. I'm just like, oh, of course. you know, a little of this, a little of that. Keep it mysterious, you know? <laughs> so what's funny is across the street from me, there's actually a guy with an extremely successful YouTube channel. I haven't met him yet, but he's uh, big time and you never know. You never know who people are around you sometimes. So that is hilarious. But yes, you totally <laughs> should tell them. Yeah, get just just softly imply that you do a little bit of drugs, just a little bit of dealing. Not I work for major. this cartel, but it's more in relationship building. It's no big. It's deal. a friendly cartel. It's one of the friendly yeah. ones. Yeah, they use rubber bullets. It'll be fine. <laughs> exactly. Uh, I love podcasts. No rules, brother. No rules. Exactly. So, um, you know what's interesting about what we just talked about. I talked to so many folks who are trying to get that side hustle going, right? Mm -hmm. and, all, and everybody's obsessed with this idea. I've got to niche down, which you've niched down and it's worked for you. But some people, I think, make the mistake where they niche down. They just pick something out of the blue. I'm going to work with dog walkers. I'm not going to look if there's <laughs> any demand, but that's my niche. And because I'm niching, I'll be successful. What do yeah. you say to those folks that try to arbitrarily choose a niche without any experience or data or anything behind it? Well, I've, I've been that guy and it does not work out. No. So I've, yeah. So, so I've done it. I, I think it's, it's a lesson that a lot of people have to learn in business. But um, if, I would, if I could do anything differently, I would have done what one of my clients did when he was thinking about getting into real estate, which is he called up as many of the top agents in his city as he could find. And he just said, look, man, like I'm, I'm young, I'm out of college, I'm thinking about getting into this. Uh, could I take you to lunch, my treat? And just, you know, for half hour, just kind of pick your brain on how you've been able to be successful and what a new person in the business would need to know in order to be successful. What he learned from that is not only just what they did, because he promptly ignored most of their advice because it was terrible um, and did his own thing. And now he's the number one agent in the state. Um, what, what the most important thing that he gleaned from that process was he got a sense of what it was like to be in the business and what their concerns and fears and what their daily lives were like. If you decide and you pluck out of thin air a niche you know nothing about, like I'm going to go do X for dog walkers, and you've never walked a dog in your entire life, you have no idea what conversation is going on inside their head. So how are you going to create something for them that they actually value? So I think if most people, if, look, if you're creating a niche for someone that isn't you and you're not scratching your own itch, the first thing you should do is just talk to as many people in the niche as possible because you might even find out you don't even like the niche. That's what I did with real estate. I went and, and spent nine months passing all the exams, got into real estate and realized, I hate this. This is yep. terrible. I don't want to be here. And then ended up leaving the business after a year and a half or whatever. Uh, if I would have done what my client did, I would have found that out before I even got into that niche. And I would have gone and done something else way sooner. It's That's phenomenal advice. Uh, I did the same thing. I tried to niche down, just picking a niche and never worked. I actually started really broad, right? I started writing yeah. content. 
Intentionally Inspirational was a motivational brand. I didn't know who I was talking to. I didn't really know why, but I liked it when people responded and stuff. So I kept rolling with that. I found copywriting. I was like, I can do it, but I don't really want to do it. And then I discovered, hey, there's a demand for ClickFunnels. I just learned how to use that. So I'll work with this. And then there's a demand for active campaign. And I just use that. So I worked with this. So over time, I know what specific platforms my expertise is in. And that has allowed me to niche down to be very very, very good. What I do, especially with active campaign, it was never the plan though, right? I pivoted right. into it because people kept coming to me for the same thing, the same thing, the same thing. And, you know, at a time it makes sense to do so, but trying to pick that out of thin air on the front side just makes no sense. And I tell people that and a lot of people just don't, yeah. they don't agree with me. They argue with me. No, no, they don't. Um, and which is fine. I mean, but if you get around like one of the, probably the thing that you and I have both noticed about working with really successful people is that they have all kinds of problems oh, yeah. that they don't know how to solve that they and they have the money to solve them yeah so if i was speaking to a person that was trying to get a side hustle going my advice would be get around as many successful people as you possibly can yep. and just pick their brain about what keeps them up at night and chances are you'll find something I'll, I'll give you an example so before i got into producing podcasts with that same client i mentioned who's the number one agent in the state i met him when i was working for my old agency and I found out that he was looking for somebody to make local videos of different neighborhoods and then kind of build the system where the articles would get written. They'd post it to the website and do like this SEO project. So uh, I pitched him on the idea of working together on that. We worked together on that for like six months and I crushed it and did a good job. And then eight months later or whatever, he brings me on as a consultant to help me grow his coaching consulting business, which I ended up as a partner in. So that, that, like that process of just get around really smart people, like yep. I had no intention of building an SEO video production business, yep. but I got around somebody smart and he saw potential and we ended up working together on something that opened the door to the stuff that I realized I was passionate about. Yep. And, and because I was able to work with somebody really smart and successful right out of the gate, he was willing to work with me on something that we didn't know if it was going to work. And that's hard for most people to wrap their heads around when they start doing a side hustle is the best thing to do is to find somebody that'll pay you a grand or two grand a month to work on something that's unproven. You figure it out. Yep. And then you come out of that with something that you can package and turn around and sell to other people. So rather than trying to go after this big audience and sell them a low price product, go find one person that'll pay you a couple grand to do something that's not done yet, figure yep. out how to do it. And then you come out of it with this thing that you could probably package and sell. I hope the people watching and listening are taking notes. There's some gold in this episode. I'm loving this. Good That's stuff, right. man. Absolutely good stuff. Uh, so let me ask you, for the rest of this crazy 2020, what's mm -hmm. next for you? What do you have planned the rest of this year? Or do you even know? Well, yes. So, uh, so where the agency's at, we are overbuilt in terms of staff. So we can, we can double, we can take on double the number of clients we have without any additions in staff. Uh, no changes in systems, nothing in the business breaks. Uh, in fact, my weekly hours won't even go up. Um, so I spent the last year and a half like building out that system to where we're set to scale up effectively. And then we mm -hmm. could add, we could add another 50% capacity beyond that because I figured out all the systems to kind of hire the next round of people and all the training is set up and stuff like that. So the, the plan is just to, to keep on growing, um, keep on getting the message of the book out there. Uh, I mentioned to you before we started hit recording that my last call before you was Facebook ads. Mm -hmm. So my, really my mission for the rest of this year beyond just networking and growing the, um, the agency is I really want to master the strategy of that. I've got a guy that does the tactical implementation of the building of the ads and that's great, but I really want to master the strategy 
of how do you add people to the email list at break even? And like, like you said, let the back end of the funnel do its job. Um, and I look at it the exact same way somebody buys online leads for a local business like real estate. Like I know that the incubation period is going to be three, four, five, six times as long as getting a referral. Yep. And that's okay. Cause I still get the referrals, but I want the email list to grow with people that 12 months from now will turn around and go, you know, I should really launch a podcast. Let's yep. get on the phone. That's yep. the goal. Yeah. There's so that's nothing- what I want to spend the rest of your there's nothing more enjoyable when somebody that's been uh, on the list for a year and a half, two years reaches out. It's like, I want to spend money now, you know? And it's great yeah. when it's like, Hey, I don't even know if you offer this, but I want you to help me with this problem. Like you said, there's, there's nothing more powerful than when somebody's like, I have a problem and I want you to help me figure it out. That's awesome. That's like the greatest stuff in the world right there. Oh, it's yeah. It's like, well, if you're a marketing consultant, it's like a drug. Yeah. Cause it's like, wow, you trust me to do something completely <laughs> wildly unproven. Um, now granted, I don't, I don't do that anymore, but yeah. Um, <laughs> But I, but I remember that feeling like, dude, I've lived through that process of when I was working on my old agency, I went from, from being the guy that took over all the old clients of that agency and I couldn't get them on the phone yeah. to then starting to talk, starting to publish a blog about what we were doing at the agency. I started noticing the phone calls started to get answered. Yep. Then I started to do consulting calls with them and they started to reach out to me and go, Hey, I want to talk about the strategy for next year. Yep. Then to launching my own podcast and a year later seeing not the same type of people, the same exact people going, <laughs> holy cow, you want me to be on your podcast? I'm like, yeah, why not? It's like, wow, really? And yes. I'm flattered to be here. I, the same exact people I couldn't get on the phone to save my life a year and a half before mm-hmm. to them going, feeling privileged that they're on my show. It was, it was a crazy transformation to live through. Uh, and it is, it's like a drug, that sense of, of people trusting you yeah. uh, at that level is really, really awesome. Absolutely. I love it, man. I love the architecture and the strategy both. That's the one-two punch of marketing right there. I know. So, I love it too. If somebody watching or listening wants to get in touch with you or learn more about you, where would you like them to go, my friend? Easiest place is getmicrofamous.com. Right now, that's links out to all the different places. Um, we're building a whole new website there, but there's uh, all the links that are there for now. Uh, to get the book, it's just microfamousbook.com. Super, super easy. And then... Um, subscribe to the podcast is just microfamouspodcast.com. Awesome. You were prepared for that question, weren't you? (laughs) Very short and sweet URLs. There you go. Awesome, man. Well, I appreciate you being on the show. Um, Thank you very much for your time today. Thanks, Jason. This is a blast. Yep. Thanks for joining us for another episode of the Intentionally Inspirational Podcast. I'd also like to once again thank my guest, Matt Johnson, for joining me. Please be sure to check out the show notes for this episode by going to intentionallyinspirational.com forward slash episode 198 or 198. It's all the time we have for today's episode. So thanks for hanging out with me for a little bit. I hope you subscribe to the podcast if you don't already. And um, if you do this, you'll obviously be among the first to know when a new show goes live. Till next time, this is your host, Jason Wright, signing off with another episode of the Intentionally Inspirational Podcast. We'll talk to you again here soon. Thanks. Take care.